Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm going to talk about vegan and vegetarian diets, which I will often refer to as plant-based diets, and what we might need to do to make sure that they are as healthy as possible. This is going to come out just before Christmas, so I hope you have a really good Christmas if you're listening before then. There's some exciting stuff coming up next year. Firstly, we have the Systems in Synergy Sydney seminar. The one we did in Melbourne earlier this year was really successful. Had a great group of people. I think there are still some tickets available, so check out Elite Vitality. I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. You can visit for some tickets for the Sydney seminar. Also, some other stuff happening on my end. I have redesigned my advanced physiology course. Had about 50 people go through that last year and had some really good feedback on it. But I've restructured everything to make it a bit easier for retention and to have a bit more accountability. So this will be structured much like a sort of coaching relationship is online, where there are modules being released every two weeks. We have check-ins regularly. We have a private forum. And I'll do probably one intake, maybe two throughout the year, but the first intake will be happening at the end of January. Keep an eye out for some more information coming out during January 2020 for the first intake of this. I'm going to be calling this the Science of Fitness. It's a year-long course that will give you everything you need to know on the physiology behind health and fitness. All right, I think that's it for announcements, so we'll get into the podcast today. The first concept that I'd like to address is the idea of variety in diet. So I don't think that an omnivorous diet or a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet, any of those by themselves is inherently good or inherently bad. I think that the more food options you have available to you and the more variety there is in your diet, the greater the potential for health. And the reason why is because you have a broader exposure to various nutrients. Obviously, uh, various foods have different ratios and different types of nutrients in them. And so the broader the variety of foods you eat, the more likely you are to be exposed to those various nutrients. It also creates a little bit less psychological stress because there's less to think about with eating. If you don't have any restrictions, then it makes it much easier to choose foods to eat in a diet and to fit them into a diet. And that also leads on to social friction. There's less social friction when you are able to eat more foods. So certainly having greater variety in the diet is ideal. And for me, that means omnivorous diets probably have the edge over others, but you can certainly eat a pretty bad omnivorous diet, uh, just as you can eat a pretty bad vegan diet or vegetarian diet. People obviously eat sort of something anywhere in between. We have lacto-ovo vegetarians that are happy to eat dairy and eggs. We have pescatarian diets. Uh, People there tend to be happy to eat fish. And kind of everything in between, all the way to vegan, where no animal products are used whatsoever. So there are certainly some times that we want to cut out things in our diet. I sometimes cut out foods that I know are maybe not good for me in excess. I've always used the example of ice cream or alcohol for myself. You know, if I want to make sure that I don't eat overeat those foods or overconsume those foods, then I simply cut them out of my diet sometimes so that I'm not tempted and I don't end up in a sort of binging situation where I go overboard with them. And that's certainly fine. I don't have to remove it entirely from my diet, but it's reasonable to do sometimes. Uh, Sometimes there are other reasons to cut out foods in your diet. And this obviously comes down to the personal preferences around uh, moral choices in diet. So perhaps you have a conscious uh, 
reason for not engaging in an omnivorous diet. Maybe you don't want to eat animal foods because you're worried about your impact on the environment, or maybe you're worried about the impact on animal welfare, or maybe you just don't really enjoy animal products and you just want to remove them from your diet because you don't like the taste or the texture. That's perfectly reasonable to do, and vegetarianism or a plant-based diet is a reasonable route to take in those cases. But one of the problems is, of course, is that to get the most out of training to support health, you do need to be a bit more conscientious if you're going to cut out entire food groups like animal products. Uh, animal products tend to be pretty rich in nutrients, whether that's protein or micronutrients such as vitamins and minerals. So that's something that you do have to be careful of. But while there is obviously some restrictions over there, um, you can certainly eat a pretty healthy diet as a plant-based eater. So the things I am going to mention today will pertain mostly to vegans. And obviously, if you are not a vegan, but maybe a vegetarian, it's probably not going to be as relevant, but it could still be something that you should look into. A lot of these things you may not actually have a deficiency in your diet or in your in your body stores for. So I think it's always worth just reviewing your diet or going to see the doctor and getting a blood test regardless because um, you know, taking a supplement or eating a whole bunch of a particular food because you suspect you might be deficient in something is not always the best way to go and having an actual test there to confirm or deny is really an important part of that. So I, I don't really want to give out a, a sort of a minimum amount you should be getting or uh, recommendations for supplementation just because I do think it's individual and it depends on your diet and to some extent your genetics and what your blood levels are. So some of the things I'm going to mention today and talk a bit more about are protein, essential fatty acids, um, various vitamins, so vitamin B12 and vitamin D, and a whole bunch of minerals as well, iron, zinc, calcium in particular. So I'll start off with protein. And what we need to know about protein is that it's made up of amino acids. So amino acids are like bricks that are built up in various combinations to make what we call peptides. And peptides are built into longer chains and more complex 3D structures into proteins. And protein structures exist everywhere in the body. They play a really big variety of roles. Things like enzymes, immune cells, structural components, and a whole bunch of other things are all created out of amino acids. They're all protein-based structures. So it's kind of like all of the tools, machinery, storage areas in your cell, all of those have some kind of amino acid or protein structure to them. And we use the proteins from our diet to get those amino acids, to get those building blocks, and to make stuff out of them. So different structures need different combinations of amino acids. They need different types of materials to build out of. And these are supplied through our diet. So the proteins we eat are broken down into those constituent amino acids. And these are directly used to assemble proteins in our body. So each, each food has its own ratios of amino acids contained within it. It has a different amino acid profile, meaning that some amino acids might be particularly rich from a particular protein source and others might not be quite so rich. In general, animal proteins tend to be pretty rich across the board in most types of amino acids. And so generally people who are omnivorous or eat animal products don't need to worry so much about what amino acids they're getting out of their diet. But plant-based eaters probably do. Most plant foods tend to be a little bit deficient in one or more. So common examples of some amino acids that are limited in plant-based proteins are things like lysine, methionine, isoleucine, threonine, and tryptophan. Another aspect of plant-based proteins is that we tend to have a harder time digesting plants and extracting the amino acids from them because they are fibrous. 
Scientists have kind of attempted to account for this by creating scales that compare digestibility scores of protein sources. And there's a couple of these that exist that are in common use in the literature, and each one has its drawbacks. Um, but in general, plant proteins tend to score as less digestible than animal counterparts. And so the solution really is to eat a variety of plant proteins to cover your bases. If all you eat is one or two main sources of plant proteins, then you are exposing yourself to a potential deficiency in some of the amino acids that I listed before. What we want to do there is to make sure that we're covering our bases for some of those commonly uh, missed uh, amino acids that I mentioned before, lysine, methionine, isoleucine, threonine, and tryptophan. So some vegan-friendly sources of these would be things like pulses, grains, legumes, tofu, quinoa, nut seeds, and some vegetables. And just eating a variety of those things will help. If you are eating plant-based sources of protein, it's probably also a good idea just to eat a little bit more protein than uh, the bare minimum. So if, you get, if you're eating mostly animal sources of protein, you could probably get away with the minimum protein intake, which... For most people, I recommend to be about 1.4 to 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight. If you are only eating vegan sources, I'd probably bump that up a little bit and maybe go closer to 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kilo as a minimum. Uh, and so that should help a little bit just to shore up any potential uh, shortfalls in your intake. Another thing you can do, of course, is to uh, include a protein supplement. That's a really convenient way to bump up protein intake because many plant protein sources are not only protein, but they also contain a fair bit of either fat or carbohydrate, particularly carbohydrate, which is not necessarily a problem. But if you are dieting and you need a minimum amount of protein coming in, it means your protein sources are going to also contribute a significant amount of carbohydrate as well. Whereas that's not always the case with lean protein sources. You can pretty much get away with having protein sources that um, are from animals that are pretty lean and then pretty much only contain protein. So a wide range of products are available that you can get in terms of a protein powder, uh, things like soy protein, pea, uh, rice, hemp, you can get blends as well. Um, so that's something to look into for sure. Lastly, just want to mention another amino acid. Leucine is the primary amino acid that signals muscle growth. And most plant proteins are not particularly rich in leucine, uh, but some rich sources are soybeans and lentils, so you can certainly use that. Or you can supplement with a bit of leucine if necessary, just to boost up a little bit of protein synthesis signaling. Okay, next up we want to talk about fats. There are many different types of fats that we can obtain through the diet. And just to give a little bit of a background so you understand what I'm talking about, fats or lipids are classified by their chemical structure. So you'll often hear things like uh, omega-3s, omega-6s, omega-9s. You'll hear about saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated fats. And that's basically telling us what the chemical structure looks like. So a, a fatty acid is basically a carbon skeleton. It's a carbon chain. Uh, so it's just a chain of carbons linked together and other atoms can join onto these. Uh, now, saturated fats are called saturated because all of those carbon atoms uh, in the chain are occupied or saturated by hydrogen atoms. So all of the parking spots are taken by hydrogens, uh, whereas unsaturated fats will only have some hydrogens parked on top of their carbons. So uh, that's just a way of designating which ones are which. Now, in terms of practical terms, the saturated fats tend to be 
solid at room temperature. So you can think about animal fats, coconut oil tend to be really rich in saturated fats and those sources tend to be solid at room temperature. So butter, for example, um, and unsaturated fats tend to be liquid at room temperature, olive oil, canola oil, that kind of thing. Now the omega number, omega-3, omega-6, whatever it is, tells us where the first double bond between the carbon atoms occurs. So it's not really something that is particularly relevant for the layperson to know. Um, all we need to understand is that we want a, a balance between omega-3s and omega-6s. We want a balance between saturated fats and unsaturated fats. So what we're trying to look for is uh, unsaturated Unsaturated fats tend to be most commonly found in plant foods, and these are usually under-consumed by people who eat uh, diets that are rich in animal sources of protein. This means that, generally speaking, people who are eating vegan or vegetarian diets don't need to worry too much about having uh, a boosted uh, unsaturated fat intake. However, much of the unsaturated fats from plants tend to be of the omega-6 variety. And since it's important to eat a balance of omega-3s and omega-6s, plant-based dieters often need to find a good source of omega-3s. Now, many people will argue that you can uh, ingest ALA and that can be turned into the omega-3s that we want in the diet. But unfortunately, we want the long chain form of omega-3s, and this is not very easily converted in the body. So people will argue that ALA, alpha-linolenic acid, will be converted into the longer chain forms of omega-3s in the body. But if I remember correctly, the efficiency of conversion is only about five or 10%. Uh, so ALA is rich in flax seeds, walnuts, and chia seeds, and often you'll hear people say, okay, you can eat those as a healthy source of fats if you're a vegan. Um, now, ideally, what you want are those longer chain omega-3s like EPA and DHA. Those are the same ones that are found in fish. So if you're pescatarian or uh, flexitarian and you occasionally uh, allow yourself to eat fish, then fatty fish can certainly provide a source of that. But otherwise, we're kind of looking for supplementation here. And the best way to get supplementation that isn't fish oil is probably from algae-derived sources of omega-3. So that could be a good option for people if you don't get much omega-3s in the diet. Okay, so the next thing is vitamin B12. Vegans are at greater risk of developing a deficiency in vitamin B12, which is also known as cobalamin. And this would result in neurological damage if it gets into a severe deficiency. And B12 is really abundant in animal foods, but it's pretty rare to find in plants. And so many cereal products are fortified with B12. But another really good source is nutritional yeast. Nutritional yeast actually has a bit of a sort of cheesy flavor to it. So it's quite nice to uh, add to a vegetable dish and, and really adds to the flavor. B12 is not super well digested and absorbed so supplementing might be helpful to just as to have a bit of an, an insurance against deficiency but certainly you can get some from the diet by using nutritional yeast or fortified cereal products the next one that's pretty common in terms of deficiency is iron so it's quite common for vegans and vegetarians to eat a similar amount of iron as animal product eaters but the form that's in whole grains and legumes uh, is not quite as bioavailable. In particular, female vegans tend to have lower iron status for obvious reasons because of the menstrual cycle. And this iron deficiency anemia is usually off, uh, set off by insufficient consumption of iron or insufficient absorption of iron. So you could eat plenty of iron from rich sources like whole grains and legumes or leafy greens, but uh, the 
form of iron is not quite the same. The form of iron that animal product eaters get is heme iron. And that one's a little bit easier to absorb. So there are two forms of iron. There's heme iron and non-heme iron. Heme basically refers to blood, hematological, so relating to blood. It's far more bioavailable. It's carried in the blood of animals, whereas the non-heme form exists in plants. So one of the issues with plant sources of, of uh, iron is that obviously it has the non-heme form, which is less bioavailable, but then whole grains and legumes also contain what we call anti-nutrients. And what they do is essentially inhibit or reduce the absorption of minerals like iron. Uh, now, it sounds pretty scary, and some people really play up this aspect of eating plant foods, but it, it's not a huge issue. It just means you might need to make an effort to eat more iron-containing foods or more mineral-containing foods if you only eat plants. Similar to the protein side of things, where maybe you're not getting quite as many amino acids, it just means you might need to bump up your total intake. Uh, you can reduce these inhibitors, so phytates and, and tannins, which are found in coffee and chocolate and tea and things like that, they can inhibit the absorption of minerals, but they can be reduced by soaking or sprouting or fermenting grains and legumes. So that's an option as well if you want to eat more sort of sprouted or fermented grains and legumes. So you can achieve iron sufficiency with only plant sources, but it's probably worth getting regular blood tests to make sure that levels in the blood are actually accurate uh, or adequate. Um, and if you are someone who's at risk of iron deficiency, which for example, could be a female who experiences heavy menstruation, then you might need to supplement. So worth getting a blood test in that case there. The other mineral that tends to be pretty low in vegans is zinc. And zinc plays a really wide variety of roles in the body, does quite a lot, but like iron, zinc is pretty abundant in plants uh, and the issue is really down to absorption. Some common sources of zinc uh, things like beans and whole grains and nuts and seeds, in particular hemp and pumpkin seeds are quite rich in zinc. But these are also the same foods that contain the anti-nutrients that hinder iron absorption that I mentioned earlier. So again, processing through soaking or sprouting or fermenting will reduce that phytate content and allow better absorption of zinc. Now, I just want to mention at this point that there's an argument that poor mineral absorption from plant foods is a little bit overstated, and I think it is, but the body can regulate losses and the uptake of nutrients from the intestines to some degree. So when the body detects that body stores of zinc or iron or calcium are getting low, then it hangs onto them a bit more and it increases the ability for the intestines to absorb these nutrients. Now, the last mineral I want to mention that might be of note is calcium. And obviously most people associate dairy consumption with calcium probably is the richest source of calcium in most people's diets. It's pretty important for bone health, and there's obviously other aspects of metabolism that require adequate calcium is consumed. There are some good sources in vegan diets, uh, beans, pulses, and green vegetables, especially bok choy, spinach, kale, broccoli. There's also plenty of fortified foods available, so there are calcium-enriched milk alternatives or calcium-set tofu that you can eat as well. So calcium's pretty easy for a vegan to get. Again, just worth checking that one. Okay, next up is iodine. Iodine is important for thyroid function, which helps control your metabolism. Now, like any other nutrient, iodine has a healthy range, and we want to maintain levels in the middle of the range. We don't want to be too far above or below this range because that can lead to thyroid dysfunction. Now, 
Iodine's a funny one because while the other stuff I've mentioned so far tends to be a deficiency sort of situation, iodine can kind of go either way. Either people tend to be really low in iodine or they tend to be really high in iodine. So it kind of depends what your favorite foods are. There are, there are some really rich uh, plant sources of iodine. So iodine content in foods vary according to the soil content when produce has been grown. It also varies depending on the farming methods being used, what season it's grown in, and the species of fish, if you're not a vegan or you're a pescatarian eating fish. But the richest sources of iodine are sea vegetables like seaweed. So some vegans or plant-based eaters eat a lot of seaweed. And the content can vary quite dramatically, but it tends to be the richest source. So uh, depending on how much seaweed you're eating, you could get actually more iodine than you need, and you might need to be a bit careful about that. You should also be careful because... Uh, salt, table salt, tends to be iodized as well. It's really easily found in grocery stores. So that could be an option if you're a little bit low in iodine to, to use iodized salt. But some people are already consuming quite a lot of iodine and then they get the iodized salt. And so they're adding even more on top of that. So just be careful of that one. Uh, now, there are some things that decrease the amount of iodine use in the body. They're called goitrogens. And you might have heard of a goiter before. Uh, these are found mostly in cruciferous vegetables like cabbage and cauliflower. And if you eat these in excess, it could have consequences for your thyroid function because of how it decreases iodine use in the body. So again, something worth getting checked out. Next up, we have vitamin D. Vitamin D is pretty important for a wide range of physiological functions. It's primarily, synth primarily synthesized after sun exposure to the skin, but there are some dietary sources, uh, mostly liver and fortified foods. Now, those aren't so much of an issue because obviously being a vegan doesn't stop you from getting sun, but the main concern is with supplementation if you do want to supplement. So vitamin D3 is the most common supplemental source of vitamin D, but it's usually animal derived. Um, now, more recently, there has been a growth in lichen derived D3, so vegan sources of vitamin D3. Uh, you can get vitamin D2, which will also raise your vitamin D levels. It's a vegan-friendly alternative, but it's much less bioavailable than vitamin D3. So if you can get D3 from a vegan source, lichen-derived, then that could be a good option there. I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, lastly, creatine. Now, creatine is a pretty interesting one. It's mostly stored in muscle, which means that if you're not eating muscles of animals, you're not likely to get much dietary creatine. Uh, if you want to know a bit more about creatine, visit the blog. I have a nice post on it and what the benefits might be. It can help with your exercise, your lean mass. It can even have cognitive benefits as well. So I think plant-based dieters could probably do with some supplementation of creatine. I consider it pretty vital uh, in terms of a being a, an important component of a healthy plant-based diet, especially if you have specific strength goals, because it can help quite a lot of that. Uh, so supplementation can be pretty helpful in that case there. All right, so that's pretty much everything you need to think about. There's obviously a few things to check out. I think probably the best way to go about it is, again, to go and get a blood test and to analyze your diet, make sure that you have plenty of variety. And that goes for everybody, whether you are a mostly plant-based dieter or whether you uh, you are omnivorous, um, but just to kind of run over everything again quickly, um, some common nutrient deficiencies, protein or amino acids, uh, 
look for pulses, grains, legumes, tofu, quinoa, nut seeds, and, and some vegetables. You might want to supplement just to get a little bit of extra protein. For ALA, uh, alpha-linolenic acid, which can be converted, it's a short-chain omega-3 that can be converted into the long-chain omega-3, even though it's not particularly efficient. We can get that from flax seeds, walnuts, chia seeds, and hemp. EPA and DHA, which are the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids that we really want for brain health and general inf inflammation and cardiovascular health. Uh, you can get that from seaweed and algae. Um, algae oil is a really good way of getting the supplemental version of that. For vitamin B12, we can go with supplements or fortified foods. Uh, nutritional yeast is a really good way of going for B12 as well. For iron, um, just make sure that you're getting enough iron, especially if you are a female in uh, who has heavy menstruation. Legumes, grains, nuts, seed, fortified foods, green vegetables, all pretty rich in iron. Same with zinc, uh, beans, nuts, seeds, oats, wheat germ, and nutritional yeast is pretty good for that. For calcium, we can have calcium set tofu, fortified plant, milks, and juice. Kale, broccoli, sprouts, cauliflower, bok choy, all pretty rich in calcium. For iodine, you want to make sure that you're not getting too much or too little. Um, it's really rich in seaweed. It's pretty good from cranberries, potatoes, prunes, navy beans, and of course, you always have the option of iodized salt as well. And then for vitamin D, just getting enough sun is good, but if you can't get enough sun and you want to supplement, then you can try and find some vegan friendly vitamin D3 supplements that are derived from lichen. Otherwise you can use D2, but just bear in mind that that not, is not absorbed quite as well as D3. All right, so that's pretty much it. I have a bunch more information like this in my Fitness Fundamentals online membership site. It's pretty cheap and you get a 30 day trial to start up. So check that out at the website, lukeatalik.com. And again, keep an ear out for a couple of things. Firstly, the Systems in Synergy course, which is happening in the well, at the end of January next year, uh, check the show notes or the description for more information on that, and keep an ear out for the new science of fitness course because I will be doing an intake towards the end of January, and that might be your only chance to get in for 2020. That one's comprehensive and it will teach you absolutely everything you need to know behind fitness, health, training, and nutrition. All right, thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one.